Well, so this morning, we're going to take a small break from our series of the book of Matthew that we've been going through. And I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture that can be found in the Old Testament. We're going to turn to the Old Testament this morning and take a look with me at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And uh, you can uh, turn with me in your Bible, your Bible app that you have on maybe on your smart device or your phone or whatever it is. And uh, that's where we're going to be settling in this morning. Um, and I'm going to be asking the question, what is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? You know, how does it fit into being the church as differentiated from the worship portion of our Sunday service? Yes, you know, our song time and what we just finished doing is considered worship, but I want to take a look at a much broader view of our services and ask this question. Does God really care how I worship? And to begin this morning, I want to begin with this illustration. As his parents watched from the patio, a little boy played baseball by himself in the backyard. Of course, this amounted to taking the ball and tossing it into the air and attempting to hit it with his bat. As he did so, he proclaimed to no one in particular, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Unfortunately, he missed the ball. So since he was the umpire too, regretfully yelled, Strike one! Undaunted, the little fellow picked up the ball, threw it back into the air, and said, I'm the greatest baseball hitter ever! With greater intensity, he swung the bat and caught, all he caught was air for his efforts. All of a sudden you hear, Strike two! Undaunted, the little boy paused for a moment, took the bat and ball and looked at it carefully, and then for a third time, he threw the ball into the air. I'm the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, he said. This time he swung for all he was worth, but just like the other two attempts, he missed. Strike three, he mumbled. And the boy sat for a moment, considering what had just happened. After a minute or so, he turned to his parents, and much to their surprise, he said, Wow! I just struck out the greatest hitter in the world! I must be the greatest pitcher of all time! You know what? Attitude really matters, doesn't it? It can make the difference between a good day and a bad day. It can make the difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage. And it can make the difference between a good life and a bad life. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. You know, the longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. Have you ever considered that your choice of attitude will even affect your worship? 
We know that we're called upon to worship. We know that the reason that we gather together here today is to worship the Lord. And I believe that when God's people gather in worship, that God does great things for them. And here's what I want you to understand. Our worship begins long before we enter into this sanctuary. Corporate worship is important, but it hinges upon our individual worship. The devil knows that if he can defeat us in an individual worship, that it's going to hinder our overall corporate worship. And what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three ways for us to know our worship is pleasing to God. And first, I want to start with this one. We need to focus on relationship, not religion. At the heart of the idea of worship is our relationship with God. All creation declares the glory of God. Worship was an integral part in the lives of God's people throughout the Old Testament. Worship was so important that God himself designed and established the very first worship center set up exclusively for worship in the Garden of Eden. In Eden, we see that God's ideal relationship with us, Adam and Eve, enjoyed an intimate friendship with God. There were no rituals. There were no ceremonies or religion, just a simple, loving relationship between God and the people that he created. It was unhindered by guilt or fear. And Adam and Eve delighted in God, and he delighted in them. Like Adam and Eve, we were made to live in God's continual presence. But after the fall, that ideal relationship was lost. And Adam and Eve no longer lived in the paradise that God had for them. And their children were born and raised where all families live, outside of Eden. Adam and Eve left the garden, but they didn't lose hope. God had promised that someday a child would be born who would change the course of history, and he would undo the evil that had been loosed. Worship. Worship is hardwired into the human spirit. The need to meet God started in the garden. But yet, sin twisted it. But it didn't eliminate it. Men and women are still driven to believe in something bigger than ourselves. We either worship the creator, we either worship the creation, or some other pathetic substitute. As the ancients wrote, our hearts are forever restless, until they find their rest in God. What I want you to do with me this morning is take a look with me in Genesis chapter 4 and turn with me to chapter, to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 as we take a look at the story of Cain and Abel and see why one of their offerings was acceptable and the other one was not. Follow along here as I read from... Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the, first, from the fruit of the ground. 
Abel, on his part, also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his face was gloomy. We see here, you have the story of Cain and Abel. And it teaches us a lesson, the kind of lesson, the kind of worship that is pleasing to God, which is this, that which springs from a pure heart. It's that personal relationship with God that is every day, not just on Sunday. Cain and Abel knew that worshiping the Lord would be hollow and empty without giving something back. So they each brought offerings. Cain, a farmer, brought the fruit of his harvest. Abel, the herdsman, killed and slaughtered the firstborn of his flocks. And he brought the best he had in worship. We're not told many details about what happened. But yet we do know this, is that God was pleased with Abel, but not with Cain. And most importantly, Cain knew it. You see, the difference between the two offerings is not explicitly drawn out here by the author, but we do see a little bit of what Cain's heart brought about by how he reacts to God once he was rejected. So why was God pleased with Abel's offering and not Cain's? Because God was pleased with Abel and not Cain. It doesn't matter what sacrifice you bring to God, If your heart is not right with him, he cannot and will not accept your offering. Now, I've heard it put this way. What we do within these four walls every Sunday morning, beginning at 1030, is not Christianity. It's worship. It's our offering to God. Christianity is what we do when we leave the confines of this sanctuary. And God can only accept our worship on Sunday morning if our lives demonstrate the faith and the rest, the faith that we have in God the rest of the week. And that right there is where Cain failed. He believed that his worship would appease God and that the rest of his life wouldn't matter. When he discovered that his worship was not acceptable to God, he became angry. But yet, I believe that Abel's offering was an act of pure, devout worship that was based on what he knew about God. Somehow, and we're not exactly sure how, but God had revealed himself to Abel, and as Abel developed a relationship with God, he wanted to respond to God's greatness by giving him his very best. On the other hand, we have Cable. Or, Ab- or Cain's offering that seems to result more from a desire to participate in some religious ritual that would somehow appease God. But now, before we go into condemning Cain, we ought to take a look at our own lives. Many people in church today come only out of some sense of religion. They think that if they're here once a week, sing a few songs, stay awake during the sermon, and put some money in the offering plate, they've done the religious duty for the week, and that will appease God. But the problem is, is that they'll never be able to give God their very best. 
But you know what? God wants us to have so much more. Exodus 34, 14 says this, For you shall not worship any other God, because the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, making us friends with God. When we take advantage of this relationship that we can have with God, we have a deep desire to get to know God more intimately each and every day. Then no one is going to have to coerce us to give God our very best. Out of love and appreciation for all that he has done for us, we'll gladly give God the very best of everything, our lives, our time, our talents, and our treasures. And that brings me to the next point, that in order for us to know our worship will be pleasing to God, we need to focus on faith, not form. So why was there a difference in God's response to Cain versus Abel? Well, the Zondervan Bible commentary states it this way. The difference between the two offerings is not explicitly drawn out by the author. The popular opinion is that Cain's offering was not accepted because it was not a blood sacrifice is contrary to what it seems the narrative is trying to communicate. That both offerings in themselves were acceptable. They're both described as offerings and not sacrifices. Furthermore, they were both first fruits offerings. Thus, Cain's offering of first of the soil was appropriate for a farmer, as Abel's firstborn of his flock was for a shepherd. When we look at Leviticus 2, God goes into great lengths to instruct Moses on the proper way to make grain offerings. He concludes by saying that they are pleasing and they are acceptable to him. Cain was a farmer, and giving a grain offering would be a natural, acceptable thing for him to do. You see here, it wasn't the content of the offering that God rejected. It was the person making the offering. Notice with me again here in Genesis 4, verse 5. It says, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. It was not just the offering that God rejected, but it was Cain himself. 1 John 3, 11 and 12 says this, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. You see, the problem was not in what Cain was offering. The problem was in Cain himself. First John tells us that his deeds were evil. And the best way that I can explain it is that Cain had a problem of the heart. It was evil and full of wickedness. And it seems to me that Cain's offering was more of an attempt to appease, appease God than it was an act of faith and worship. It's important to understand that what we do, our conduct, or conversation, is often found, as often found in the New Testament, will affect our worship. 
If we come into this house of worship and we say one thing, but yet when we leave and go back to our friends and to our family and to our co-workers and do something else, God will not accept our worship. Our hands must be clean. If they're not, then we're not in a right relationship with the Lord. And if we're not in a right relationship with God, then we can never be intimate in our worship with the Lord. Sin prevents that fellowship with God. And if it's not dealt with properly, then our relationship with God is hindered. I want us to take a look now at Abel's offering. And let's see why it was different. Why was God willing to accept Abel's offering? Well, the main reason and probably the only reason is found here in Hebrews 11.4. And it says this. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. You see here, Abel's offering to God was better because it was based on faith. If there's one word that makes a difference in these offerings, it's this. Faith. By faith. Abel offered to God. He knew he could not appease God. He understood that he needed God's grace. He understood that he was at God's mercy. And so he made that sacrifice represented in his heart the right way. Cain went through the motions. His heart wasn't in it. His life didn't back up his, his actions. And God knows the difference, even though others may not. In 1 John 3.12, it warns us, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. And his brothers were righteous. With a broken and a contrite heart, Abel sacrificed the firstborn of his flock. But yet, by faith, he asked for and received God's grace and forgiveness. His worship was from the heart. Go back with me and look at Genesis chapter 4 there. And I want you to notice something very important. Look at verse 4. God had regard for Abel and his offering. And then we go to verse 5, and it says this, But for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. You see, God regarded the person over the offering. God regarded Abel, but not for Cain. Why? Because of their heart, not because of their offering. God regarded the person over the offering. And what I want you to understand is this. Worship is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of form. Cain's form was fine. There was nothing wrong with a grain offering. The problem was a matter of the heart. He could make all the sacrifices that he wanted to, but until his heart was right, he could never have that right relationship with God. And I hate to say this, but there are millions of people all over the world right now, this morning, who are in church, and they are just like Cain. Their form is fine, but they have no faith. 
They believe in God, but they do not have a relationship with the Savior. They attempt to appease God every Sunday with their sacrifice, thinking that God loves their church attendance. But they are leaders in their church and in their communities, and they're teaching Sunday school, working in the nurseries, and singing on stage. And as they do, they are hoping that all of this will make them acceptable to God. And they believe that they can buy their way into heaven with gifts and good works and by giving money to the church. When really the fact of the matter is this, is that God has already appeased that relationship. Jesus Christ bought and paid for our salvation 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Our response must be the same as Abel's. The only way that we can have a relationship with God is through faith. Abel's offering was an acknowledgement of his dependence on God. And isn't that really the essence of faith right there? Faith concedes that I am incapable of coming into a relationship with God based on my own works and that I need God's intervention in my life in order to enter into a relationship with him. But yet people like Cain, on the other hand, are thinking, it would be a whole lot easier if God would just give us a list of do's and don'ts. Preferably a very short list that wouldn't keep us from living our lives just the way we want. And then what would they do? They would try to skate by by doing the very minimum in order to just pass the test. But you know what? God wants something better for us. John 4, 23 through 24 says this, But a time is coming, and even now has arrived, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Faith says this. God, I'm so dependent upon you that I want to give my very best to you out of gratitude for what you have done for me. And form says this, I just want to give you the very minimum that I can get by with. If I just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, that works for me. And that brings us to our final point, that in order for us to know our worship will be pleasing to God, we need to focus on God's provision and not my possessions. You know, I think that Abel recognized his bountiful flocks were from the hand of God. In fact, they didn't even belong to him. They were God's. And so when he gave his offering, it was easy to give the very best. After all, everything belonged to God already. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, I don't think there's any of us here this morning that would have a hard time with the idea that God has his hand in providing and developing our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our wealth, 
and our possessions. But that's a far cry from believing that all those things actually belong to God and that we are just stewards and that everything I have in my life is available for God to use however he wishes. To be a person who is a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ requires a substantial commitment to personal disciplines. In a day and age when so many things compete for our worship and devotion, believers are often forced to make choices. And Abel recognized something about God. When he brought an offering, he acknowledged the reality of God. In bringing his offering, he testified to his total dependence upon God and his indebtedness to him. But yet Cain did something different. He reacted in a childish way, and it kept him from receiving God's blessing. Just like Cain, a wrong reaction toward God can keep me from receiving his blessing. Cain knew that God wasn't pleased. So what is a person to do when that happens? Well, I would think he could own up to his problems. He can acknowledge the error and ask for forgiveness and pledge to do better next time. He could do those things. Or he could get mad. He can blame God. He could feel sorry for himself. That was the way of Cain. Follow along as I read here in Genesis chapter 4, looking at verses 6 through 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. And it is, its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain talked to his brother Abel, and it happened that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. That section of passage of scripture that I just read there reminds me of the child who doesn't get his way. You know the scene. The dad is sitting there in his chair watching TV. When his son or daughter comes into the room, Dad, he says, I love you. Dad, being rather wise to the tactics, says, uh-huh, uh and what do you want? Nothing, Dad. I just wanted to tell you how much I love you and what a great dad you are. Okay, thanks, Dad responds. Oh, and by the way, Dad, can I borrow the car and stay out late tonight? I am going to a party. Now the father understands. No, I told you before you can't go out past 11, and I need the car tonight. So what happens? What does the son do? He goes off stomping out of the room, forgetting how much he loves his dad and what a great guy he is. The worship was only a way to appease dad and get what he wants. There was no real meaning attached to it, except for a selfish desire. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Cain? He comes to God with an offering, 
God sees that his heart isn't right and cannot accept it. Cain, instead of repenting and changing his life, storms off angry and bitter and jealous. I can't get my own way. God loves Abel more than me. If I get rid of Abel, I will, there will be no one else and God will have to accept me. And the heart stays black and cold, unresponsive to God's leading. The Lord offers Cain some advice here. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Here's the point here. No one toys with sin and gets away with it. Insisting on doing life our own way doesn't make us free. It simply produces a less merciful master. Cain's anger takes control, and anger always does. It's his way or else. He invites his brother to a secluded field, and Abel never sees it coming. Cain does the unthinkable. He kills his own flesh and blood. He does, does he think that's going to solve his problem? Does it make his offering any more worthy or, or God's opinion of him any better? It doesn't make sense. And sin and anger never do. God confronts him in verse 9. Where is your brother? As if God didn't already know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain pleads ignorance, thinking maybe the problem will go away. And that is a common human strategy. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. Cain eliminated his brother, but he couldn't eliminate the judgment of God. He was defiant to the end, and God sentenced him to wander. If you read the rest of Genesis chapter 4, it tells how Cain's children and his children's children continued to walk the path that he had blazed. With every generation, Eden grew fainter. So what is worship to you? Worship is the important thing to God, so much so that out of the Ten Commandments, the very first one deals with the subject of worship. In Exodus 23, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. In Exodus chapter 34, the commandments are reinstated, and God says in verse 14, Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. The insinuation here is that while we do not worship other gods, there is one God who is to be worshipped. And when you read the Old Testament, you cannot help but see the importance of worship in the lives of the people of God. Abraham worshipped God in Genesis 22.5. Jacob worshipped God in Hebrews 11.21. Moses worshipped in Exodus 34.8. Joshua worshipped in Joshua 5.14. And of course, King David worshipped in 2 Samuel 12.20. We also find in the New Testament that worship was still important. Jesus told the woman at the well that God is seeking for worshipers. God is looking for and demanding true and sincere worship. 
The disciples worshiped the Lord in Matthew 28, 9. The New Testament church worshiped in Philippians 3, 3. And at the end, when God wraps up this world, the completion of his redemption plan, worship will still be important. As we see in Revelation 4.10, and it says this, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Our highest priority as Christians is to give God glory and to exalt him by giving him our worship. Attitude is everything. So let me ask you this morning, what is your attitude? Here's what I want you to understand, is our worship begins long before we enter into this sanctuary. Corporate worship is important, but it hinges upon our individual worship. The devil knows that if he can defeat us, it's in our individual worship. This morning, your opportunity to make things right with God is now. Have you been more focused on religion and not a relationship? Have you been more focused on form and not faith? Or have you been more focused on your possessions and not God's provision? I want you to look at these three points that we discussed this morning and ask the Lord to tell you which one you need to work on more this week. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Do you know about God, but don't have that personal relationship with God? Is this, if that's so, this is your time right now to come to know the Lord. And if you don't know what that means, I ask you to come speak to me after the service, and I would be happy to share with you what it means to have that personal relationship with Christ. Or maybe it's your faith in God. Have you been struggling with your dependence upon God? Have you been just trying to get by life by doing just the minimum? If so, make an effort this week to change. Change your ways. Or maybe it's your perspective on who God is and what he can do. Have you been allowing God to develop your talents, your abilities, your gifts, your wealth, and your possessions? God wants to use you. And we need to give back to God what is rightfully his. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, more important than developing our relationship with God. It's a relationship that will last forever. And Paul told Timothy that some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. And that is, is that they don't know God, have you been missing out on the most important thing in your life? If so, you can do something about that this morning. Remember, it's your choice. No one else's. You are as close to God as you choose to be. And what's most important to God is not the way that we choose to worship him, but the motivation that directs our actions so what is your motivation this morning? At this time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and respond to God. And as you do, I'm going to invite the men, our ushers, 
to uh, go ahead and prepare to come forward. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you guys to speak to God this morning. Between you and him, what is your relationship like? What is it that you need to work on? What is he leading you to do, to change, to do differently? He loves you and he desires you to become more like him. What you believe in your heart will define who you become. And God wants you to become more like Jesus. I'm going to invite the men to come forward at this time. And we're going to have an opportunity here to give back to God. You'll find in your bulletin, there's a connection card that is there. On this connection card, you can use it to write a prayer request. You can use it to ask for prayer. You can also use it to share with us if you want us to speak with you. Maybe you're wondering, how is it that I can have that personal relationship with Christ? Or maybe you've already made that decision here this morning. Mark on that. Maybe you're wanting to rededicate your life this morning. Maybe you've just been trying to skip to just kind of scoot by in life and not do what God has called you to do. Maybe you're interested in membership or being baptized. Mark that on this connection card, and as these offering bags are passed, you can put that in there. Let's pray right now. God, teach us what it means to have a faith that works. Lord, when we face trials that are beyond our understanding, help us to find peace. Help me to be joyful and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. You set all things in accordance to your time and remind us to wait patiently and to find that peace in your plan. Lord, I pray right now that our focus, our motivation would be on bringing a right relationship, a right offering with a right heart attitude to you this morning. We go before you and it's in your name I pray, amen.
today, be sure to turn and greet someone around you and just say thank you for being here. Have a great day.